0: All right, well, hey, uh, as we were singing that last song, um, man, in the first service and then again in this service, but the honor as a pastor is that we know what uh, a bunch of you and some of you are going through, right? And even though there's not hundreds and hundreds of people here in person, uh, but whether online or or here this morning, there's a lot that some of you are carrying. Um, There's some sickness, there's some financial stress. There's an election coming up in three days, and there are a lot of uh, strong feelings and division about that. There's You've still got your mask on, and if you're listening to your experts, we're going to be wearing masks for another year. And there's just, um, sorry, maybe you need to be on the news more. I don't mean to be like breaking news. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, but the reality is, there's just uh, we are, we're here this morning as a community. Of people are online together as a community. Of people, and each one in our own story, are going through different things. And as I thought about us as a community singing, "We exalt Thee," it, it really brought me back to a series we did a while ago in the Book of Habakkuk. And I thought about these final words in the Book of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk says this. And I just offer this. I don't know if it's necessarily encouragement, but um, reality about sometimes the only thing we have to do. And this is what this guy ended. Habakkuk was a guy who looked around in a culture that wasn't what he wished there was in a political situation that was chaos with his own stresses and the stresses of people around him and just all this weight on him. And he works through this whole book and this whole thing trying to process, okay, where is God? What's God doing in this moment? And, and he doesn't really get an answer. And so he ends with these words and he says this, so the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and all the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall. In other words, what this guy is saying, even in this moment when it's all falling apart, he makes this decision, and he says to himself through these words, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Right, a guy is looking around saying, I got nothing else to rejoice in. And I got to do something and cling to something. And so he's making a choice. I will, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God, the Lord, and my strength. And so I didn't plan to say any of this. I just offer it because, uh, man, some of us are in great moments today, right? We've had all the Reese's peanut butter cups a man or a woman should eat, and we are happy. But others of us, it's just tough, and it's been a tough year. And Um, sometimes we need to own that and literally just us singing those songs together reminded me man we affirm our hope in God and amidst things that are challenging the unique reality of life is there's also a lot of things for which we can thank God and so I I do want to thank God because even though some of you are, are walking through really hard times God is doing awesome things here at Calvary and we're grateful for how we're seeing him work last Sunday this there was this Well, I don't think you saw. Yeah, you did. There was this big old tank, right? There's probably still some water, and we baptized some folks in the first service, and we celebrated what they're doing in their lives, and then this service, we had some families who were like, man, I want to raise my kids in this community of faith, and it was awesome. Last night, we had something called Trunk or Treat. It was the 15th year we've done this, and it was awesome, and we served our community. And so I just want to say, for those of you who gave us candy or gave us five bucks to go buy some candy or carved a pumpkin or made a trunk or helped move some tables or strung some, whatever you did, you gave up your time or your money. We were just so thankful that you partnered with us in serving our community. Uh, the, the team you, the team of all you who served, <clears throat> you did a great job. You improvised having to adjust to the reality of COVID and you still put on an amazing event that served our community really well. I think that I had the best job at the whole night. You can argue with me later, but my job for most of the night of uh, the majority of the time I was here was my job was to tell the people at the end of looping through our parking lot where to go to get their candy, right? I was like Santa Claus. It was amazing, right? So As the families would come up, having driven through our parking lot and encountered a bunch of you doing awesome things, and I'd tell them, okay, Latin man, go get your candy over there, that family after family after car after car just thanked us (laughs) for what we did and and genuine appreciation. And here's why that's important. One of our goals, and I love this phrase uh, out of one of the letters that Paul writes about being a sweet aroma of Christ. And we're in a moment in our culture where... People in a community and people in our culture do not necessarily have sweet thoughts about evangelical Christians. Whether that's justified or not isn't the, ant- isn't the issue, but, but the point is, for a few hours last night, they were in a church parking lot with people who believe this book is true, and, and they saw love, and they felt that, and they were grateful for that, and so we're grateful for the way that you partnered with us to make that happen. Um, it was a great, great evening, and we're excited because in a few more weeks, right? We want to be a group that, that is thankful for how God's blessed us, and we give out of that, and we serve out of that. And so we're gonna have our big Thanksgiving service coming up in a few weeks. And like we said, we know that there's some folks online that we've been calling this week who, for valid health reasons, aren't comfortable coming back, don't want to wear the mask. We get it. There's you who are here. And what we're working really, really hard to do in every environment is to connect and engage as many people as we can. So In a few weeks, we're going to have our Thanksgiving service. It is going to look totally different than anybody who's been part of our Thanksgiving service before, but that's okay because when you face moments where you have to do things different, you innovate, right? And you do things differently. And so we're really excited about how we're going to do some things differently to engage as many folks as we can, whether they feel like coming in person or not in person. We're going to focus in on some serving. And so we're really excited about that. We're going to roll out some information to you next week about how you can partner with us and engage and serve our community. There's going to be some things you can grab as you leave next Sunday if you're here, if you're there's going to be an online capacity, and so we're looking forward to that as we enter into Thanksgiving season, um, celebrating and and continuing to be a sweet aroma, and we're thankful for all you who are partnering with us. So, man, just want to own that life can be challenging, and sometimes the only thing we have to cling to is God, and, and want to affirm the way God's working and celebrate that. And I want to talk about what God has for us, because in his sovereignty, he knows every single person that's clicking on to watch this sermon, he knows every single person here wearing masks, and his word is alive and it has something for us today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into what he has. Father, I do thank you for the—you are a God of love, and you invite us to partner with you and to serve you by showing your love to other people with no strings attached. And thanks for the opportunity that you've given us to do this here to our surrounding towns and our community, and we want to continue to do that well so that people see you. Help those of us who are having a hard time, Father, just to— Know that you're holding on to us, even if we feel like we can't hold on to you any longer. Help all of us who are listening to this as we open up your word um, to hear the truths that you have for us, and to grasp it so that it can change literally how we live every day of our lives, because this has to do with choices and things we do every day in our lives and our family. So we're grateful for you, God. Thanks for the chance to come worship you freely, work through your spirit for the honor of Jesus who gave everything for us, and it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, the reality is this there's many times in life when you and I we face things that we just don't know right how how to process through them. Something happens and we don't know what to do, or maybe we don't know how to do it, or maybe we don't know, okay, why do we even have to do these sort of things? And the laundry list of where we encounter those questions is broad, but one area in which we sometimes face things in which we don't know how to do it or why to do it or what to do is in a family relationships. Maybe you're a parent and you have kids and your child is entering kind of this new phase of their life and what worked in the past for you as a parent isn't working any longer and what worked at seven months year old isn't working when they're seven and when they're, what worked at seven isn't what's working when they're 17. Maybe you face that in your parenting. Maybe you face that in your marriage. If you're married or if you're not married and maybe one day we'll remarry or get married, you're, you're going to face this moment where you just wonder, what should I even be doing as a spouse? As a husband or a wife, how do I conduct myself? Why should I conduct myself like that? What does it look like for me to conduct myself like that? And the amazing thing this morning is this, that you and I, as we process those things and ask those questions, we have some wisdom. We have some guidance. We have some insights. And it's not from your favorite blogger. It's not from a podcast of your favorite self-help person, right? You and I have wisdom and guidance from God himself that has to do with the issue of family. And over the past couple weeks, we've seen God's instructions for family. We kick this off, we're in this book of Ephesians. It's a letter that a pastor wrote to a church and a group of Christians a long time ago. They were in a culture and he's trying to tell them how to live in that culture. And he's telling them how to be unified in that culture. And we've walked through the book and talked about issues of different people. How do you get along in a church? What's the prayer for this church? And for the past few weeks, we've been in this subsection where he's writing to Christians in the church who are in a family and he's telling them how to act in that family, in their situation. We're going to finish up Ephesians in a few weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about tools God's given us. And then the week after that, we're in this little paragraph that if you've ever read a, the book, that you probably have skimmed right through. But this guy's name, this guy's name, Tychicus, it's just some great insights as you learn more about the story of this man and how it impacts where you and I are today. But but today, what we're going to be in is we're going to be finishing this family season, series We've subseries. We've talked about uh, husbands was the first week. Then yesterday, last week, we talked about parents and kids, and today we're talking about wives. So, ladies, it's ladies' night here at Calvary Church, right? Uh, and we were frank with the husbands about what God wants, and we're going to be frank with you about what God expects and wants for you. What wisdom. this is what we're asking, okay, what wisdom is there for wives? If you're a wife this morning here or listening or clicking later in the week, how does God want you to act in your marriage? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to kind of do this like Savannah style. We lived in Savannah for a while, and I, I absolutely love this about the Savannah culture. Even though I had to get used to it as a Fairfield County zippy, zippy guy, right? If you are in Savannah, Georgia... And you ask somebody a simple question, and they're a native Savanian, and you say to them, Hey, what time is it? It is going to be about 15 minutes till they tell you what time it is. They're going to start like this Hey, hey, what time is it? Well, in 1817, a man planted a rose bush. And it's like, Bro, I just need to know if I'm like, right? They meander to their point. We're going to meander. To our point today, we're going to build some foundational things and then kind of land on, so wives, what does it look like for you? The text is going to be Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Let me read that first, and then I'll give us this broad starting point, this broad big picture that we're going to build into, and here's how it starts. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We, we see words like head and we see words like submit and here's what's under those. Here's this big overarching umbrella that we need to get this morning. It's this point, the big picture, that spouses have identical value and worth but different roles spouses have identical value and worth two people same value same worth but those two people of equal value and equal worth in a marriage have different roles and so if you're a, a thinking person you've been properly caffeinated and got a good night's sleep last night the question then becomes okay man well, well what's the roles What's the role of a husband? What's the role of a wife? What are they supposed to be doing together? And, and we see words in here that Ephesians tells us about headship, submitting, but we got to go way back to the beginning of the story because that's where God first lays this foundation. That's where God first sets up roles in the very beginning of the story. So if you got your Bible, you got your device, make a big flip. And go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's how the story begins. It's how God of, of places roles and goals. And let's think for a second about what's the goal of spouses together. There's two different accounts of creation in the Bible. They both point to God being the creator, but there's two different angles from which they come. And in this conversation about marriage and roles and husband's wife, each account gives us a different layer of that. So let's think, what's the goal of spouses? Let's read about what we see when God begins the whole story in Genesis 1:26 and further. He says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created the male He created them. So God's given some broad instructions about kind of humanity in general, big picture, okay, some things there to do, right? But then he's narrowing down, and he says, okay, now I'm creating a man. Now I'm creating a woman. He's bringing them together as the first spouses, and he says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And the birds of the earth and the heavens and every living thing that goes on. See, what God's doing is he's given some broad principles about what humans are to do. But then he's saying, look, I'm creating a man. I'm creating a woman. I'm bringing them together. And notice the pronoun in the story. He says, here are some things that I want them together as a unit to do. Fruitful, multiply, subdue, have dominion, right? He's saying, look, I'm bringing these two different people together. But I'm bringing them together with a common goal, with a common purpose, with some things that I want them to do together. Here's the goal if you're in a marriage or if one day you will be in a marriage. Here's the goal for you and your spouse. Spouses work together to accomplish God's will through fulfilling their unique individual roles. Two people, equal value, equal worth, different roles that God brings together and says to you together, okay, there's some stuff that together you need to do. You need to fulfill, but you do that in your roles. I remember one of the best leadership principles that has stuck with me for decades now happened when I was playing like varsity basketball at 11th, probably 11th or 12th grade. Right. And, uh, it was my coach who may or may not be listening to this, which is a little weird. Right. But, but he, here's the, um, he, here's the principle. I was on a team and you know, like we all were doing different things and, um, man, I would want to be the point guard and shoot the point guard would be trying to get, and it wasn't working. And one day I remember in practice, the coach just blew the whistle, brought us together, and he looked at us all and he says, okay, look, we we got we to get some things straight. <laughs> Our goal is to win together as a team. But to do that as a team that's what we're trying to do but each of you have a different contribution to make as we do that he pointed to the point guard he said bro your job is not to try to get in the paint to do like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar move right or you're not LeBron James your job is to dribble the ball off pass it off you shoot from here he pointed to me so it was a small school and a small team I was like one of the tallest dudes I know that's shocking right It is shocking. and he said to me Smith your job is not to shoot the half court shots, right? Your job is to do two things. Your role is to rebound and you shoot from here. And he went down the line and he gave everybody their role. And He said, you got to stay in your lane. you got to fulfill your role. And together in our roles being fulfilled, we're going to accomplish the purpose. That's what God's done. He said to husbands and wives, there's things I want you to do, but to fulfill those, you fulfill those through their roles. And together... In your role, you pursue and you press into what God has for you together as spouses. For these guys in the very first marriage, he gave them some very particular things in the beginning of the story about his will to pursue together. But for today, in our marriages, the things that he's asking us as spouses to do together is to Man, just fulfill how he wants you to act in your marriage. What does he have for you and your marriage together? How do you treat each other? How do you have your priorities? How do you figure out what does it look like for us together to show God's love to other people, to be kind to other people, to tell them truth to other people? Together, what's his will for us as parents? And how do we accomplish that together together? god's will is for you to accomplish what he wants you to do together in your parenting in your priorities in your marriage and what you're chasing hard after that together you're chasing hard after what this book tells you both that you're to be doing and you do those together as far as how you spend your time what you make most important how you steward your money right how you live together And the question, spouses, is this. If what God sets out there in his purposes are things for them, for you to do together, the question is, are you together in your marriage? Are you together? And what this book says that together you should be about, are you unified in purpose in your marriage? or are you divided in perspective? Are you unified together in what your worldview, what you're doing, what you're thinking? Are you unified together in how you parent? Are you unified in purpose, or are you divided in perspective? Husbands and wives, are you rowing in the same direction? And probably, no matter how big the size of a crowd The reality is that in some crowd, there's some marriages where, man, the husbands and wives are not rowing in the same direction. I love the amazing race where through COVID, we've been binge watching every amazing race we can find except for the ones I got to pay 30 bucks to watch. And they always have some deal on a boat there's always these partners in the boat who have never rowed together a kayak together and man one's rowing one way one's going the other way and that thing is just going all over the place they haven't figured out how to go in the same direction in your marriage spouses what issues are you facing what's causing the tension and in those areas of tension and in the areas of challenge that you face because the life can be really hard are you rowing together towards the same thing together you try to accomplish god's purpose through fulfilling your individual roles which then raises the question okay well what's the roles if god's given husbands and wives individual roles and we're together okay well what's the individual roles that is a great question so Let's answer it, right? Ephesians again, we see it teed up. We see headship. We see um, submission, but it's it's really initiated in the second creation account in Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, we kind of see what God gives the man, the husband, to do, and what God gives the wife to do. And that is the those are the tracks of these roles that God sets up. So, what's the husband's role? Let's think about that first. We see this in verse fifteen. Verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. God takes Adam. God takes the husband. God takes man. And he says, okay, bro, here's your area. And in this area, then I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you control. I am entrusting this to you. It is your job to take care of it. It is your job to keep it. He then gives some instructions about don't eat this fruit, don't eat that fruit. Adam, it's your job to make sure things happen in this sphere that align with what I want to happen. Adam, you're in charge. It's up to you. Adam, you lead. I'm giving you leadership, Adam, to do some things, to own some things, to take care of the things, to control some things. The role of a husband that we see here and throughout Scripture is a husband's role is to lead. A husband's role is to lead. And two weeks ago was a husband's week, and if your wife hasn't handed you the notes yet or you haven't listened to this, here's this huge important point that we made. Husbands, you love your family, you love your wife, you love your kids by leading them because that's the role that God gave you. But don't you dare try to lead them without loving them. Anybody can be a dictator. Anybody can slam their fist and boss people around. That's not leadership. Husbands, you love your family by leading them, but don't you dare try to lead your family Without loving them, the husband's role is to lead. So why? Here we are. We finally made it through our savannah meandering to wives. So wives, future wives, people who may be remarried again one day, what does God say is your role in that partner, in that marriage? Here's what we see. God then kind of says some wisdom and insight about what Eve is to do, what a woman's role is. And he says this in Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said... It is not good that a man should be alone. So, really interesting stuff, right? Hey, Adam, I'm entrusting you to lead, but bro, it's not good for you to try to lead by yourself. Another interesting point, another whole sermon in itself about community. Adam wasn't theoretically alone because he was with God in a relationship, but what God in a relationship was saying is, Adam, just you and me with nobody else human with you isn't good. It's not good for you to try to lead by yourself, with yourself. And so, what God says is, I will make a helper fit for him. So, God creates Eve as a wife, as a spouse. So, as Adam is leading, he creates this helper to come alongside. A husband's role is to lead. And wives, you know what your role is according to this and other texts? Your job, your opportunity is to partner. Is to partner. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting that, that what God says to wives is he's made you as a helper. A helper. The, the Hebrew word there is this word azair, azair, E-Z-E-R. It's this word that means essential counterpart essential counterpart, or indispensable companion. Wives, that's what you are, essential counterpart, indispensable companion. The idea of being a helper is not a weak word or a weak role. You know what, wives, it, it is there for, <clears throat> you know this, you don't need a Bible verse, you know why there's a helper, you know why there's this independent counterpart? Because, wives, your husband has gaps. First service, I got a few amens, that's okay, that's probably better he did your husband has inadequacies. Your husband has areas of weakness and, and short points and wives. What this is saying is in your strength, you come along and you help him. You partner with him through your strength. So what does any of this have to do with Ephesians? Here's what it has to do With Ephesians, because when we flip back to Ephesians, wives, Ephesians tells you one way that you partner with your husband. Spouses are to be about pursuing God's will together, they pursue God's will together through the exercise of their individual roles. A husband's role is to lead, a wife's opportunity is to partner. And here's what it says about how you do that. Here is how you partner with them. Ephesians tells us, wives, you want to know how to partner? Here's your opportunity to partner. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We got to make sure we understand what this is saying because this verse and another verse like it in Scripture gets taken so far out of context. This is not a command for women in general to submit to men. That's really, really important to say. This has nothing to do with whether women can be the boss over men, whether women can run for president. It, ha- it is not telling women everywhere to submit to men everywhere, but sometimes a lot of men take it out of context, and they go up to any woman and like, well, I'm the man, <clears throat> you just submit to me. That, that is out of context and wrong. This is a command in a marriage relationship about the roles between a husband and a wife and it doesn't extend to other relationships beyond that. So let's not take it out of context. So what does submit mean, right? That's the way that you partner. That's the way that you help your husband. What does it mean? We, we've laid it out a few weeks ago, but here's what it means. It means to voluntarily, wives, you choose. You make the choice. To place yourself under the leadership of another person. If you dig deep into the grammar here, it's in the middle voice, which means this is not something that is meant to be forced upon a wife. It is not the husband's job to force his wife into submission. It is the wife's job to make a choice that I choose to place myself under his leadership now it doesn't mean being passive it doesn't mean blind obedience it doesn't mean that you never offer your opinion or never speak up it doesn't mean any of those things i am now have the i now have my third child who's about to get their driver's license and if you're a parent who's ever had a child to get your driver's license, what I know through my stories, there's like two things that are really challenging for a parent. right? One is that when the kid tries to parallel park just because. That's hard to do. You know, heck, three-quarters of the adults in the world can't even do that, right? But the second thing that's really kind of, oh, when you're a parent is when your child is getting on 95 or the Merritt Parkway and you're learning to get on the highway, right? That is why I have this gray hair, right? It's either Calvary Church or my kids learning how to get on the highway. I don't know. It's a toss-up, right? But you know that is hard to do, right? Because here's what happens. When you're learning that opportunity, there are cars zipping along at 60 miles an hour. There is you coming on that on-ramp at getting up to 60 miles an hour. And what happens is these two vehicles, they're on a collision course. And if they keep bearing down on the gas, they're going to hit each other and it's going to be really ugly. And so you know what happens in that moment. In that moment, one of those vehicles, somebody has to choose, I'm going to take my foot off the gas. I'm going to let that person go first and I'm going to fall in behind them and I'm going to get behind, right? You're choosing to do that and that's this idea of biblical submission that wives, you are choosing to take your foot off the gas and to let your husband go first and to follow in behind him. Here's one way, wives, that you fulfill your roles to partner with your husband, a wife voluntarily places herself under the husband's leadership and enables him to lead. Right? Notice this. If your husband's role is to lead and you place yourself under that, you're then enabling him to do what it is he's called to do. And these instructions, excuse me, I was screaming too much at Trunk or Treat last night. The, these instructions go against what the natural drift of spouses are. Because if a husband's, and this is a sermon itself, if the husband's natural, if the husband's calling is to lead, and we've talked about this in some men's classes and a few sermons, you know what us guys drift towards? We, we drift wrongly towards Passivity. Our job is to lead, but naturally, guys, we drift towards passivity. And and wives, your job is to partner, but you know what many times women drift towards? Being in control. It's always good when the wives laugh at that. That means I think I'm still okay. Guys, we're called to lead, but man, let's just be honest, you know what I drift towards? And I'm gonna say it because I think you probably do too sometimes. We drift towards passivity. We drift towards we're worn out. We're tired. We're done with that conversation with the kids. We, just, we drift towards passivity and our wives drift towards autonomy and leadership. And the more we step back, the more they step in. The more they step in, the more we step back. And the whole thing becomes topsy-turvy. Wives, this is not this idea of submission. This is really, really important. This is not a call for you to change your personality or your gifting. I think sometimes when Christians talk about wives submit, we put up this caricature of what like that little submitting wife looks like. This is God, what wives and wives to be. God has wired you and gifted you and made you who you are. Giving you the opportunity to choose to put yourself under the leadership of another does not mean you have to change who you are or how you're wired or your gifting. Here's why that's important. Because wives... There's a bunch of you who are a whole lot better leaders than your husbands. There's a bunch of you who are a whole lot better and naturally wired as a leader. There's a whole lot of you wives who are better critical thinkers than your husbands. And the issue is not for you to change that part of your personality. The issue is how within your personality do you lead? I mean, do you submit, right? How do you submit? When you're the stronger leader, what does it look like for you within that relationship to still let your husband take the lead? And then the third kind of thought on this, and this is going to sound a little weird, but stick with me for a minute. Why sometimes the way that you submit to your husband's authority is by actually exerting yourself. And here's what I mean by that. There's going to be moments in your marriage where together you've come to the conclusion of this is what God wants for us. This is where he's leading us. This is the direction in which we should go. And together, the husband's going to be like, okay, babe, this is what we're doing. I'm going to lead us. We're aligned. We're focusing on it. It is the right way to go. And the husband starts by leading properly in that direction. But then time goes by. And guys, maybe our hand gets a little loose on the, on the tiller and we start to kind of be like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we should go that way, but uh, ah, and in those moments, wives, your husband has decided the direction in which he's going to lead. Your husband set the initial course that God has. And wives, sometimes what you need to do in those moments to enable him to get back to that is say, hey, Bubba. Man, man, two, three months ago, two years ago, we decided together this is what God had for us. You led us in that direction. I want to submit and stay aligned to the direction in which you took us. But in order to stay aligned to that direction, you know what, dude? Man, I need you to get back to leading us that way. Because now you're taking us over here, but, but we said we didn't want to go over here. So I I can't follow you over here because this is where you established your leadership for us to go. And so I'm behind you here. But man, I need you to get out in front of me and lead me again. Sometimes wives, it means that you actually exert your authority to partner with your husband to help and enable him to lead in the direction in which he said we should go as a family. Now, how do you do that? You do that lovingly words like you're the biggest idiot why are you choosing to do that probably won't make it a happy sunday dinner okay but the ironic thing in marriage is, is sometimes the way a wife submits is by exerting herself and saying man i need you to i need you got to get back over here and lead me in that direction we've been talking about this for a little bit and i guess we're just going to end with this question wives In your marriage today, are you making it difficult for your husband to lead? Is there an area in which he's trying to lead, but you're you're conducting yourself in such a way that you're making it difficult? Obviously, if your husband's leading in a way of sin, we're not talking about that. But there's a direction in which he feels God is leading, There's a path that is wise that he's trying to take you on. Maybe he's not as strong as leader as you. Maybe he's not as charismatic as you. Maybe he's not as critical thinker as you. But, But he's trying to lead that way. Are you making it difficult for your husband to lead? Is there conflict in your marriage over the past months? And is that conflict perhaps coming back to what you're doing? And how you're not willing to let him... Be in charge. Is there a place in which, wives, you need to step back so that your husband can step up? Is there a place, wives, in which you need to step back to create the space for your husband to step up? And guys, right? if I'm up here challenging wives to let you step up and asking them if they need to step back, then men, we've got to step up. Right, We've got to step up. Not as a dictator, not as a jerk, not in a fear-based way to, I'm the man of the house! Ugh! We love our family by leading, but let's not dare lead our family without loving. Wives, you need to step back so your husbands can lead, and if your wives step back, guys, we've got to be stepping up. For three weeks, we've talked about Family. And each one of us who are in a family come into this place with our own stories and our own situations. And maybe for some of you, the reason God's had you hearing these things for three weeks is because you need a circuit breaker in your parenting or in your marriage. You know, you know what a circuit breaker does, right? Man, you, you get... You're like the Griswolds. You set up your Christmas tree with like 42 extension cords and you got the load going way too much. You got like an RV plugged into it. You got spotlights. You got the bat thing. You plug all that into an outlet and it's just, "Ah, it's too much, it's too much, it's too much, it's too much. It can't take it. And so a circuit breaker blows and it just stops everything. And then you got to stop. You got to unplug some things. You got to slow down you got to go down to the basement, you got to flip the switch, and you got to start over new. And maybe for some of you, for a few months or weeks or years, in your parenting and in your marriage, it's just been, gah, gah, ah, ah. and for three weeks, God's had you here at a place because he's trying to say to you, I'm giving you a circuit breaker. I'm giving you wisdom about what I expect. I'm flipping the switch so that you can slow down And maybe some of you can start anew. Listen. It's never too late. It's not. I'm going to be realistic because you know this is true. Can you and I go back and rewind the clock and relive our lives from five years ago? No, we can't. Is there grace and mercy and forgiveness? Yes, there is. But even though we can't go back and relive the clock and Do it this way five years ago. You know what? You can do it this way today. You can do it this way for the next five years. You can do it this way for the next 50 years. Just because you can't go back and redo it doesn't mean you can't go forward in the way that you should go. And so maybe, just maybe, this text has been for you. Because God's giving you a circuit breaker to stop. And to start fresh with a new slate and do this. And do your marriage, do your parenting, do your family the way that God says to do it. If God actually created you. And if God actually is so much bigger than me and so much bigger than you and knows what's best. Don't you think he knows what's best for husbands and wives and moms and dads and kids? And if he does, then why do I think I know better? And why do you think you know better? It's not a magic wand, but it's truth and it's wisdom and it's principles that can revolutionize families. It can, and it does, and it has. And I don't want you guys to miss out. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And uh, we'll be here next week. So we'd love to have you come back as we think about principles God gave. And then as we wrap up uh, our series, Antichicus, after that. So, Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your wisdom. And I don't know the stories of all the people here, but you do. And if there's some families that are in crisis and... Marriages that are struggling and just conflict, conflict, conflict. God, I pray these specific things. I pray for people who know the way that you want them to act, but are choosing not to act that way. That your Holy Spirit will convict them and bring them back on track. And I pray that if there's people here before who have never heard what you say, God, about how they should act as a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife, man, thank you so much that they've now heard your truth. And will your Holy Spirit give them the courage? to live our lives the way that you want us to live we're grateful father and i pray for joy and peace and encouragement as we all try to strive to make steps towards what you have before us amen